Father, this morning we come to you, Father. We want to thank you for your mercy. It's by your mercy we saw another day. Only by your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We receive that mercy that is set before us. By faith. Come beyond that to grace. And we confess your grace is sufficient for us. We are standing here today in your grace. And that grace is sufficient for all of us here. All those who are in the homes listening around the world. Commit everyone, Lord, into thy hands. Teach us now. We sit at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We shall go to Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. So then, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but... That is the key. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We will ultimately lead aimless, empty lives. Or like Solomon, we may run a very purposeful life and end up empty. Okay. He ended up empty because whatever he did was not the will of God for him. So either we will live empty, aimless lives or we will run in the world and end up empty. And that's a rich fool we heard about from Jesus. So we saw the five facets of God's general will and the first is of course salvation. That's the first step. Without that we will never understand the will of God. Forget two, three, four, five. Let's look at one. That's a first one. In Ephesians 2.10 is what God will say once we have crossed that. We cross God's first will. That is in Ephesians 2.8. We are saved by grace through faith. Okay? And that's the will of God for everyone. But everyone won't get saved, not because it is not God's desire, but they choose not to. Once we are saved, it's not talking about creation. Once we are saved, not talking about creation, it's talking about God's recreation of the saved person. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ. Earlier, we were not created in Christ. We are born of the will of man. Okay, We are created in this world. Now we are created in Christ, born of the will of God. And the place we reside in spiritually is called the kingdom of God. So we are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. That is the sum total of God's will for us on earth. It's a set of works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning we discover it as we go. We walk in it. So when God uses the word we are God's workmanship. We have heard it so many times, but it is actually means 
the highest form of literature. We are God's poem. Not necessarily now, but if we finish our race. Okay. Now we are just a few lines here and there. No rhyme, no rhythm. Okay. But if we understand the will of God and keep on understanding the will of God and keep on walking in the will of God, ultimately in eternity we will be displayed as God's masterpiece. And I personally believe one of his masterpieces is Paul the Apostle. Okay? So when God created the angels, technically they say he made them out of light. Like the highest form, light. That's why Lucifer means light bearer. Okay. And the light bearer fell down. So when God created man, he went down to the lowest. He created man out of dust. So you can't fall further than that. So when you die, dust unto dust, you are. But when we are recreated in Christ Jesus, we are not created either by dust or by light, we are created by spirit. Because the second Adam is a life-giving spirit. Now we are not either dust, nor just like the angelic beings, light. We are born of God's own spirit. And we are a new creation. New creation. That's where it all begins. The first will of God, we have to reach there. And be very sure that you are saved. Don't think you are saved. Be very sure you are saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, once we are saved, this is what God says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, remember we are created in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All things have become new. So that's where it all begins. Let's see, the Old Testament saints, their cries, their desires are fulfilled in the new covenant. Job had this cry. I wish there was somebody who would mediate between me and God. We find it in the new covenant, Jesus. In Psalm 51, 9 and 10, David had a cry. After he goofed up big time, his cries is, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. That was his desire. Happens in the new covenant. When we are created, God, first thing he does is he gives us a new heart. It's the core of our being. Not this thing that pumps the blood, but a spiritual place called heart is the core of our being. Out of the heart proceeds everything. So what God does is he gives us a new heart. Okay, The born again person has a new heart. Has a new heart. Now, this new born again person, this person, new creation, has been, is God's workmanship and has been created to do good works. Which God prepared beforehand. Okay, for everyone. It's not the same. You will have common, but it will be different. Okay, common but different. Okay. And uh, it, uh, there are no degrees over here. Okay, just find your place, spot, and just do it. And first let me explain to this so that people have a real understanding of how the kingdom of God works on earth. 
there are only five callings. But many gifts, only five callings. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, five callings. Five of this two is common. The teacher, all four teach. So basically say four callings. You want to add five, five. Not even one person in the kingdom of God is in that. Understand this. 99% of God's people do not have this calling. But all are called to be witnesses. Very few are called to this. Because the price that is involved with this calling. And it's a very shame in this calling if you go wrong and end up saying and doing something or quit and go. Let us, let us say our church. Let us say we have 100 people. Somebody decides to leave the church. Right? I'm leaving. I'm tired of Christianity. I'm going back. And we'll all be upset. We will pray everything. But he says, I'm going. Okay? I decide to leave. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's not the same. It's not the same. If we understand that, this thing, primarily, we understand this primarily. One apostle fell. Till today we know, Judas, Judas, the one who betrayed. But we don't know the crowds who said Barabbas. We don't know their names. But we know Judas. Because he was an apostle. Dimas left. You know his name. How many left? We don't know their names. Okay, so get this very. Okay, and of this group, the highest is the apostle and he is the scum of the earth in the eyes of the world. Unless we see it as that, we will not even desire for these things. Honestly, if you want a genuine man of God who's been called, you go talk to him, he will say, I never wanted it, even now I don't want it. If God releases me, I will go back. Because you are always caught between the rock and the hot place, between God and the people. So get this very, very clear. Very, very clear because when we hear about God's calling, we will say, oh, I wonder what God, everybody has been called to be a witness and if you read Paul's letter to Timothy and to live very quiet lives, very quiet lives, just be a witness, live quiet lives, let the light shine, let the light shine, allow him to live through you, in him was life, that light was, life was the light of man, you are a witness. Okay. Everywhere you go, you are a witness. The way you work, the way you talk, the way you live, everything becomes a witness. That is the primary call of everyone. Then among them, God will look and test and finally, even his son was called only after 30 years. Because his call was the highest call to save mankind. He had to be tested by the devil before he could even be approved for ministry. Get this right, everything will fall into place. Okay? So God, we are God's workmanship to do God's works which he has prepared beforehand. And like we know in Hebrews 10, 7, that's how Jesus came. When Jesus came, he was God's workmanship, the highest form, his own God's handmade poetry. And he came, I have come to do your will. Where will I find it? I will find it in this book. In this book. That's where you find it. 
he also knew his works were prepared beforehand. He did not do one work which was not prepared beforehand. Every work he did was already before beforehand. And he fulfilled it. And when he finished, the father lifted him to the highest place. Say, you fulfilled my purpose on earth. Simple patterns, okay? So the first thing is that we need to go back to Corinthians 5, 17 onwards till 20, okay? That we are a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17, 20. Okay. okay, and all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, what is my... Are we good? We are back? Okay, so understand, this is the ministry God has given us. The ministry of reconciliation. That is where our witness masters. When people see our witness, they should come and ask, what is the reason for your hope? And we give them hope by saying, this is who I was. This is what God did. I have been reconciled back to God. And they may desire, they may not desire. But our witness causes them that desire. And through our witness, we are able to become reconcile them back to God. Because every human being has to be reconciled back to God. As long as you are not reconciled back with God, nothing is going to happen. It will be miserable. Empty lives. Come down from that. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to him, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What is the word God is talking about? The word of reconciliation. Like, when we preach about sanctification, why? So that we can be reconciled with God. When we preach repentance, so that we can be reconciled with God. We talk about serving God, so that we can be reconciled with It's all part of reconciliation. All part of reconciliation. Now then, who are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what do every child of God become? They become an ambassador. Who is an ambassador? An ambassador who represents another country in a foreign land. Suddenly our our citizenship has changed. We belong to the kingdom of God. God has sent his children as ambassadors to hostile territory. It is like the Russian ambassador in Ukraine. There is no one like that there. <laughs> but imagine you are the Russian ambassador in Ukraine. Or the Pakistan High Commissioner in Delhi. He is watched 24-7. Where is he going? Who is he talking to all the time? That is how we become. Because we live in very hostile territory. Because the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one who is opposed to God. So God's children live in hostile territory. But God has committed this to us. What is that? I have made you my Ambassadors. And how do ambassadors live? They represent another country. They don't represent the country they live in. Country they live in. So understand, this is everybody's primary calling. We are witnesses. We are given the job of reconciliation. And this is basically what is happening with the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, until he comes to his senses and repents, on that condition, there can be no reconciliation. 
Doesn't matter how loving the heart of the father is. The issue is not with the father. The issue is with the boy. You cannot be reconciled until you come to your senses and return. But when he comes to his senses, on those terms and returns, reconciliation is immediately. And what the father says is that literally like us, he was dead. Now he's alive. We were dead in our trespasses and God has made us alive. And the sign of the reconciliation is he's a new creation. He's wearing the best robe. He's got sandal on his feet. He's got a ring on his finger. And now there is a feast. After that, no, after that, the father will tell him, son, why don't you go this? But elder brother will say, this is mine. Father will say, yes, but that is mine. Property when the father is living is usually divided into three parts. He says, now you do one thing. You go work over there. All that I have is yours. Go serve them. Okay? So Jesus uses these illustrations. So we are living in hostile territory. In Matthew 5.19, the ambassador is described in a not very flattering term. Mm. No, not 5.19. I shall make you fishers of men. Okay, Luke 5.19. Okay, he says that's a concordance. You heard that, no? That's concordance. Okay, okay, okay. It's not fine. Concordance went wrong. Okay, <laughs> okay. It's okay. He says, you know, follow me. Yeah. Okay, follow me. That's after the catch. Okay, he said. He said, follow me. And what will I make you? Fishers of men. Do you know that's what ambassadors do? See. You have all these universities in Britain and America and all who have all the student fairs in all these big cities. Who facilitates all them? The embassy. What are they calling? Fishing for your money. Take a loan, come to your country and study. Take a loan, take a loan, take a loan. Take a loan, take a loan. They are fishers. Their basic job is the interests of their country, trade deals, what is beneficial for us, students to get them, okay? All this is what they are interested in. So, that's what an ambassador does. God says, what do we do? We are fishers. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, we are a new creation. So, generally we understood what we are called to be. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to be ambassadors and we are called to be fishermen. But we are a new creation. The problem is the new creation in an old body. That is the problem. That is the problem we won't have in heaven. But if we haven't fulfilled God's purpose on earth, we will end up in heaven in a new body without understanding the will of God on earth. That will be a miserable day. If there is miserable, cloudy, dark day in heaven, it will be the day when you reach there and realize I have a new body and no purpose. Because purpose should have been discovered here. All this should have been built over here. Okay? So the step two, or the next part, is to discover God's body, uh, sorry, God's plan. If I have to discover God's plan as a new creation, the first thing God says, would you please surrender that body? That's Romans 12.1. Offer that old skin bag. Literally, it's a skin bag. Not wine bag, skin bag. Offer many bags are, many skin bags are wine bags. They're called alcoholics. But, okay. 
He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies. Okay, that body is that old body. Okay, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The first thing he asks is that, you know what? You are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Would you please now give me that body so that I can tell you what you should do? Now, if I were to say, can you give me some water? Let me ask you the question, how will you give me water? How can you give me water? You cannot give me water unless it is brought in a glass, a bottle, something, right? That is the vessel. Now, I'm not looking for the vessel. I'm looking for the water. But I cannot have water unless you bring me it in a vessel. That's what God is talking about. The body is the vessel. The water inside is his life. He says the life cannot be used. The life is sheer poetry. It is the life of God. But can you give me that vessel please? Through which I can use that life? Give me your body. Give me your body. The old corrupt body. We need to understand a fundamental issue. Because we have heard it before, we have to keep on hearing it because what the devil will use, all kind of tricks to stop us from giving our vessel to God to be used. Go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 18 and 19. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, fools and blinds, um, fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? He says, I know the nature of your body. Till this morning what you did with it. But he says, if you come to me and you offer your body to me, the altar will sanctify your body and I will reuse it again today. That's why he says, offer it as a living sacrifice. Daily come back to me. I know the nature of your body. I know the nature of your flesh. I know no man will walk 24 hours without going wrong in his thought life, whatever action, this thing. So what do I ask you? I ask you to come and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. First thing in the morning, that's what you do. When you do that, he says, you know what? When you offer your body onto me, the altar sanctifies the body. That is your reasonable service. First thing to do, he says, offer your body. Offer it. Every day, offer your body. Even if you think you have not sinned, don't worry, you have sinned. Because if any man says he is without sin, he makes God a liar. Let every man be a liar and God be true. So just offer your body as a living sacrifice on the altar. What happens? God's altar sanctifies your body. And now the body is made holy and acceptable by an offering. Because you can never by discipline be right for God. You can only be right for God by constant offering. And in the process, God will discipline you. Because people are always waiting to be perfect before they serve God. Nobody will. <coughs> Nobody will. You have to offer your bodies. And have to believe the altar sanctifies the body. It is an act of surrender. Which means it's an act of my will. 
like our uh, abortion group says, my body, my choice. Precisely. My body, my choice. I offer it to offer it as a living sacrifice to God. My body, my choice. You have to use your choice. The will which God has given. You offer it. <coughs> when it comes, that is the first thing. In the light of God's mercies. He says, you look at God's mercies. What should we go through? But he says, in the light of God's mercy, this is your reasonable service. Offer your body. The altar sanctifies the body. What does it mean? It simply means, I will go where God sends me. I will do what God tells me. It's as simple as that. Okay. In Acts chapter 9, 1 to 2, 1 to 6 if you want to go. Okay, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. He got his letters so that if he found anyone who were off the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the God. So he's going to have his salvation experience. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And his response in verse 6 is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Where you should go and what you must do, God will tell you. What did he do? He offered his body. Offered his body. It's a simple, simple thing. He offered his body. And this he did continuously. So you can see his body being taken to all kinds of places by God. It's as simple as that. Don't make it very complicated. Take it one day at a time. But as you go through one day at a time, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Like, because we are all here and not in other countries. From here, I don't even want to mention funny names like our area is called. Okay. If you want to go from the church office, let us say to my house or Pastor Vijay's house, you know how to go, right? You know how to go. But now rainy season will start. How many of you can, when the roads are flooded, reach home without absolutely no issues if you know the road? You know where there is no pothole, you know the cracks, you know it all, and you know exactly how to reach because you went over that road so many times. The will of God becomes clearer and clearer and clearer as you walk in it. As you walk in it. Okay. As you walk in it. That's how it happens. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. Three days later, he's a new man. If you look at words 18 and 19. He arose, his eye, his sight was, his scales fell from his eyes, he received his sight at once, and he arose, and the first thing he wants to do is get baptized. A strange man, we will want to eat. He wants to get baptized. Now three days he hasn't eaten. He says, I want to get baptized. And he gets baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. He didn't go to the Jews. He went to the disciples. Suddenly there is a change that has taken. Your friendship has changed. Not to the old crowd, to a new crowd. 
is going to them. And he's listening. He's not teaching. He's listening. He's listening. Okay. Is the body the same? Look at 8.3, what he did with the old body. For as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He was the original Taliban. This is what he was. This is what he did with the same body. Now if you go to 9 and 20, you will see what he is doing with the same body. Okay. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. The body is the same. There's nothing different with the body. The body is exactly the same. In 8.3, he's creating havoc in the church. And in 9.20, he's preaching Christ. What happened? He has offered his body as a living sacrifice. And God is showing him what he needs to do. Now, with the nature of the body, because we'll get a new body, there are limits to what God can do with this body. He himself limited it. So don't put too much stress on the body. But inside the body is what is called the soul. That is the focus of God. That is where salvation is actually taking place. But if you take this body regularly to God and go where he tells you to go, do what he tells you to do, what happens is what is happening is in the soul. If you look at Hebrews 7 and verse 25, what is happening to the soul is what is being meant. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to... See, to come to God, you have to move your body. All of you moved your body. Others in their homes at least moved their bodies to their couch. Wherever they are. You have to move your body. Move your fingers to put your phone on. Okay, you have, you have to, Your body has to be used. At least your lips, if you have Alexa, you have to say Alexa or Siri, come on, go to Jigita. You still have to use some part of your body. Okay, then finally your ears. Since he uttermost is able to save. So what is he talking about? It's not talking about the body, he's talking about the soul. Because in this body is the soul. Okay. But before you go over there to the soul, because first step is the body. Okay, first step is the body. So when you surrender the body, let us look at the top. If you aim for the stars, you will reach the treetops. It's an English saying. It is not in the Bible, but it's English saying. Okay. Think about joining the army. You no longer claim ownership of your body. They own your body. They may give you a title, Agnivir, but they own your body. You don't decide what you eat. They decide what you eat. You don't decide when you wake up. They decide when you wake up. You don't decide when you sleep. They decide when you sleep. You don't decide where you go. They decide where you go. You don't decide what you wear. <laughs> they decide what you wear. You don't even decide your haircut. They decide what haircut you get. Okay, keep that. Keep that. Okay. As Paul uses those illustrations. You are not a civilian. You are in the army of God. Your commanding officer is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. If you ask him, he will give you directions about everything. Unlike there, this is free will. We have to choose. If we choose, 
he will give you directions on everything that pertains to the body. Everything he will tell you. In Hebrews chapter 5, 10, 5, sorry, not 5, 10, 5. When he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So God prepared a body for Jesus and Jesus prepared the body for God. There are two ways in everything. In every relationship, there is two ways. Okay? Relation. Not like children who will pretend they are talking to somebody on the phone. No. A lot of people walk with God that way. <laughs> that is not how it works. God will prepare my body if I am willing to prepare my body for God. So God prepared a body for Jesus Christ, but Jesus from the beginning was preparing his body for God. So there is this body. So you, you cannot discount the body because you discount the body and you ignore the body with what will you serve God? What will you serve God? Okay? So please remember. Hebrews, uh, sorry, Proverbs chapter 4 verses 20 <coughs> to 22. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my saying. So the first thing God demands from your body is your ears. Just, would you please listen? Would you please listen? Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep there, right there. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. He says, you know what? If you listen to me, if you listen to me and you hide my word in your heart and you hear me every day and if you obey my word, I will see that your body will be always supernaturally sustained to fulfill my will in your life. You will not die before your time. You will not die because your body was not able to finish my work. I will do that with your body. Supernaturally, he will intervene. Because he created this body and he saved us in this body. This body. So he says, would you please listen and obey? You know what? I will take care of your body. It has an effect on the body. Even in Jesus' case, there are two instances, if you look at him in Jesus, where his body, physical body, is pushed to the extreme. Extreme. Okay? One is in the beginning of his ministry. He has 40 days of fasting. And in the wilderness, and he's being tempted. And the testing is intense. We, we don't know what that kind of testing is. Intense testing. And then, Chapter 4, verse 11, Matthew 4, 11. Not Luke, 4, 11. Matthew 4, 11, you will see what God does. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. For what? To sustain his body. They're ministering to his body. Okay, Because he's come in this human body. It's not a strong body, it's a frail body. He's come in the human flesh. So he's pushed to the extreme in the body. His soul is strong, his spirit is strong, but he's weakened in his body. And you literally have angelic intervention to sustain his body. Why? Because he had offered his body as a living sacrifice to his father. So we have to look at the body. God will do this for our bodies. You have to believe. You have to believe. Second instance is the Final battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22 verses 41 to 41. That is 
intense battle. Now at the end, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And you can see the intense of the struggle in 44. And being in agony, he prayed more honestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is his body that is being pushed. Literally blood vessels are popping under the strain of what is being asked. You know what? There's an angelic intervention. What is God trying to sustain him? His soul? No. His spirit? No. His body. He's strengthening him in his body. So we need to realize, because this is where we have to believe, if I surrender my life to God, God will take care of me. He will take care of me to the uttermost. Don't look at your body, oh, I am so weak, I am this. God says, don't worry, I know. When I saved you, I knew the state of your body. I knew it. But I can sustain that body and I can use it until you finish my works through that body. Okay, That's what it means because it's, you have to look at the positive sides of surrendering to God. Because the old man fights these things and you have to fight the old man. Look at another situation. First Kings chapter 19, 3 to 4 and then 5 to 8. When he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, left his servant there. And he went himself a day's journey in the wind to the wilderness, came, sat down under a broom tree. He prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father. This is depressed, dejected, he just suicidal. He is weak and you know what he do? He goes to sleep. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Right. There are two things depressed people do. Either they starve or they overeat. Okay, Two things depressed. They don't, they don't eat. They literally starve themselves to death. Or they overeat. Depression signs. They overeat. They keep on going around picking and eating everything. To keep their mind off. Okay, so here you have arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So there is an angelic intervention. Because this man is weak now. Absolutely weak. He's not able to do anything. Absolutely weak. It's an angelic intervention. Because why? He had faithfully surrendered his body as a living sacrifice for the service of God. And God personally intervenes by sending an angel. So you have, through the Bible, you can see God intervening. If you want more, you go to... Uh, Acts chapter 26, right? 33 to 36. 26, 33 to 36. Acts 26. Oh, sorry. I may have got it. I always get my chapters. Twenty-seven, twenty, uh, 27, not 26, 27. Yeah. Acts 27. As 
And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. And the word of God says, then they were encouraged, they were all encouraged, and also took food themselves. But go towards 21 to 24. What set this before? What? How did this happen? Because they are lost in the sea. After long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, not have sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Look at what it says. For there stood by me this night an angel of the of God, to whom I belong, whom I serve. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Who encouraged him? Even he hasn't eaten. Because he also lost hope. He also lost. They said, look, you're floating in the middle of nowhere. You're going nowhere. There's no wind, no sail. You're all going to die. He also gave up it. The angel came there to sustain his body. And now he says, none of us will die. Let us eat. He broke bread and they all ate. So there is angelic intervention. There is spiritual intervention. The spirit of God intervenes. And it's most beautifully put in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Romans 8, 11. You know, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken what? Your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in. He will quicken our mortal bodies for his use. These are the benefits of surrendering your body to the will of God. Constantly when you surrender and you listen and you obey, God gives you the strength to fulfill his will and complete the works which he prepared for you beforehand. He will sustain. Because once the body is surrendered to the will of God, then only the renewal of the mind can begin. You know you can receive knowledge without renewing the mind. That's what happened to me at school and college. Passed every exam. I had no clue what I was doing. If you ask me anything of math I learned from class 8 or 9 onwards till 12th grade, I don't remember anything. But I got around 92%. That is called knowledge without any renewal of the mind. When your mind is renewed, it becomes part of you. That part of the person. Your mind is renewed because it's through the mind that is functioned. Okay? So that's what God is talking about. Unless your body is surrendered to the will of God, the renewal of mind cannot begin. But when it is, God starts moving. His will in your life. You may not understand it. A lot of things we will never understand until in hindsight. You will never understand. You will never understand. Later only you will understand these things. Look at Genesis chapter 37 and verse 13. Okay. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. 
The father asks the question, the son surrenders his body for the will of the father. When he does that, he has no clue. The will of God is starting to play out in his life from one act of surrender. I still remember 1984 in the Valley Youth Camp, in the final day, what you call campfire, the missionary from prison fellowship who came and ministered, finally he gave an altar call for those who want to commit their lives to full-time ministry. This rookie had just got saved, not 84, 83, just got saved. First youth meeting. I put my hand up. I looked around. Nobody's hand was up. They all counted the cost. I was a rookie. <laughs> they all were like very senior. They knew their Bible. They were all from believing churches and all. This is a guy who had no church, nothing. Put his hand up. Okay. God took that seriously. You put your hand up. God takes your life seriously. After that, everything goes wrong and you're wondering, why is things going wrong in my life? It is not going wrong. It is going right according to God's will, going wrong according to your will. You have no clue what is happening in your life. Later you will realize, okay, that day I put my hand up in the process, offered my body. God says, I take you seriously. Okay. Understand these things. Lot of things in life we will not understand. Later we will, it will come. Joseph will be able to say, okay, you mend it for evil. God mend it for good. But Lord knows he had no clue. Even 11 years down the line, he's still thinking about escaping. Go, oh, can you put a word for the Pharaoh they can get away? He's still not figuring any of these things out. Okay, so please understand this. Once our mind starts slowly being renewed. Okay, Romans 12, 2. We know this verse is very well. Okay, do not be first conformed to the pattern of the world. But by the renewing of your mind, you may prove what is good, the acceptable Perfect will of God, okay? You don't go there in one day, okay? You don't go there in one day. You will only start understanding first, it is good. Then it becomes acceptable, okay? One day, it will become perfect. Why? Your mind is being renewed. Look at Exodus 33. And verse 14 and 15. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Look at this man. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Thank God it's a very personal conversation. The others are not listening. <laughs> Precisely. What is he talking about? Where are you, Moses? In the wilderness. His mindset has completely changed. He says, you see, if you don't go from here, I know you're promising us a land flowing with milk and honey. You will have houses you did not build, wells you did not dig, gold and silver, cattle and flocks and all. All that is good. But if you are not coming with me, I'm not going from here. Moses, would you have said this 40 years ago? Would you have said it 80 years ago? No. said it. What changed? Your mind changed. When did your mind change? 40 years ago. First step. Then, few months ago, you surrendered your body for the will of God. And your mind started changing. Outside in Egypt and everywhere, people are only seeing the power of God being manifested through the hand of Moses. Moses is not seeing that. 
what is happening his thinking is changing according to the ways of god his understanding how god works his mind has changed okay that's what god is talking about but that's not what god does what god does is what is called transformation religion does not transform man religion only affects the outside it doesn't transform you from inside god works from within to without god says i will renew your mind then when i reveal your will you will be able to understand if i don't renew your mind and reveal my will you will run from it so i will slowly renew your mind and as your mind gets renewed you will understand my will and you will understand my will is good and after some time you will realize my will is acceptable see good does not necessarily mean you understand it is good or you accept it is good but it's still good okay now you ask all this little children sitting over here all the little ones sitting over here was breakfast good no nah, i didn't like it but did it do do good for you it did good when you are consistent in what okay when you are consistent like no breakfast don't try tricks with children okay always give them the same thing the first 6 days of school don't do so many things they will after some time they will it is not only good it is acceptable <laughs> you give them breakfast the most important meal and the hurried meal the same thing for 7 days on the 8th day you try to change it they will say where is my oats why the good has become acceptable okay the same child will wake up and say aren't we going to church the first day you had to drag him second day he created a racket third day he ran away but eighth day he is saying are we not going because you took him believing it is good but now it has become acceptable you learn you learn and it becomes part of you okay the problem is we are not disciplined and regular in the things of god to actually understand it is good okay it's like going to the gym two days three days fourth day onwards won't go where did the muscles come from six months also hardly anything starts showing you have to go consistently you go consistently it will show even if you don't feel anything somebody will say are what happened to your biceps here they will see <laughs> they will see. okay you do these things consistently you know what you will understand the will of god please note this romans 8:7 God cannot reveal his will for you or me until our minds are renewed because we had we have another mind and that mind is hostile very hostile to God and the things of God because the carnal mind is in enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be It's a very hostile mind it is not hostile and that is where pastors goof up and try to make the church like the world to make the people happy and they are sowing destruction in their churches 
people are all very happy. They will post testimony after testimony. After, oh, what a great church. And you look in the church. There's no difference in the church from the world. So they're only looking at people. They're not looking at the word of God. So the church is being conformed even more in the image of the world and not in the image of God. Image of God. Because today everything is media. That's why we don't even want comments on our on our sites. We don't want your comments. <laughs> Are you getting the picture? Are you getting it? Be very, very careful about it. The war is in your mind. Our mind is hostile. The old mind is hostile to God. It's an enmity. It will not accept discipline, the law of God. It will not accept the ways of God. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 4 and 5. We know it very well. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. The battle, if you haven't won this battle in your mind, a thing is going to change. thing is going to change. Thing is going to change. The battle has to be won in the mind. Where is the war? In the mind. Because a carnal mind is an enmity towards God. The problem is, in the carnal mind, when your mind is carnal, enmity with God, your feelings are your worst enemies. The feelings aid the carnal mind. Our thought life is contrary to the word of God. When you are talking about the mind, primarily, we are talking about that's a major factor of our soul. Okay, Our soul has our will, our mind, and our emotions. Let's put the will in the middle. The will is useless without a mind. What does a madman do? The same things. Why? Because his mind doesn't function. Okay, the will is useless without the mind. It's according to the mind and the feelings, uh, the, the will goes. The carnal mind or the mind of the carnal man goes like this. I want. That is his will. I think. That is his mind. I feel. That is his emotion. This is the unregenerated man. Is controlled by three verbs. I want, I think, I feel. And his whole life revolves around this. And that man can never be open to the revelation of God's will in his life. So when carnal people come into the church and the word of God is being preached, they don't receive it the same way. Their mind is always going through to say, what is there in this for me? They are not Because they are not subject to God, they are not asking Lord, what do you want me to do? They are looking like, you know, it's like a buffet. You go for a buffet breakfast, everything is set, but you go pick this, you go pick this. They go pick this and it's set have a good time. But God doesn't serve a buffet. 
Remember, Paul, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. What does he ask? What do you want? Before that, he was going where he wanted to do, what he wanted to. I am going to stop this cult called people of the way. I am going to shut them down. This is my way. This is how I think. This is what I want. This is what I feel. But when he encounters Christ, his first is, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? He goes where God wants him to go. And for the first three days, he just waits. Wait. Remember? Wait. Wait. Wait doesn't mean to do sitting now. You see, when I can wait, I can do two things. I can fast, I can pray, and I will wait. So he fasted and he prayed. So his body has been now surrendered to the will of God. It is not that I want, I think, I feel. It is, what do you want? What do you think? What do you feel? What do you feel? So our response in this is, using our will, we choose God. We choose life, we choose God. Using our will, what do you think? What we do is that we listen. Incline your ears, we listen. We don't think first, we listen. Because to think, some input has to be there. Hmm? My first international seminar at IFLU, which we conducted, was I was coordinator for that, was in, word, out. Even they understood what comes in is what comes out. In, word, out. Out. Okay. So, it's, 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 first thing we do is God says, listen. So what do I think? No. I listen. So that I will know how to think. So incline your ears. God will all say, listen to me. So that I can renew your mind, teach you how to think. Okay. What do you feel? What do you feel? What about your feelings? All I can tell about my feelings is that I love God and I love His people. If you go to Matthew 16 and verse 29, 25. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The Greek word there for life is soul. Your soul. Basically your mind. Whoever desires to save his soul will lose it. If you're going to live your life, I, I want, I think, I feel, you will lose it ultimately. But he says, if you lose your soul for my sake, you will find my will. You need to change and ask, Lord, what do you want? What do you think? What do you feel about it? I am very strongly feeling about this. But Lord, waiting a second. Because people will say, I am let. Basically they are talking about their feelings. I have got a heavy burden. Wait a second. Even if the burden is very heavy, still go back and ask Lord, is it from you or not? Because some people who had such heavy burden then cause more burdens for others. It is, whatever it is, go back because we have a very, very personal God. Very, very personal God. We are not moved by situations and this thing, okay. Oh, the Philistines have attacked Kelia. 
Okay? Lord, do you want me to fight the Philistines or not? God says, go. People says, we can't even live in Judah. You're going to fight Philistines. I said, okay, sounds good. Very reasonable. But let me go and check. Lord, what you should? God says, go. I surely will give it over to you. Okay. And all the people of Kelia must have said, David, 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 David. David says, you know what? Lord, will Saul come? Saul will come. Will these people hand me over to Saul? They will leave. He is not moved by any of these things. If he had gone with his reasoning and feelings, either he would have been a dead man or be running for his life from that. Every situation, he is not asking, what do I want? What do I think? What do I feel? He is going to God and asking, what do you think? Is this a battle I should get in? Don't get into battles you cannot win. The devil will use believers to get into battles which are against God's will. In your zeal you get into battle. That's what happened to Saul. Saul was a man who was anointed, but mind was never renewed. One year, two year, three, pe, 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 he blew the trumpet. All the Philistines came. Next thing you know, everybody is running for their life. Because the enemy is dangerous. Understand the nature of the soul life. The soul of man is very powerful because God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. That's why animal souls are not powerful. Hmm? Not powerful. They can't do stuff like we can do. <laughs> Where is this? This people who believe in uh, evolution are absolute idiots. Absolute idiots. In the first place to trace their ancestry to monkeys itself is idiots. <laughs> That's why God says he gave them over. When they go into those animals, they start worshipping animals. They give them into a debased mind. Why do they go that way? Because they can accept their unethical, immoral behavior. So how do you justify homosexuality? Because penguins and all these animals, they have homosexuality. So we are also homosexual. So evolution supports their theories. You're just an animal. But man is not an animal. He's a living soul. Okay. And the living soul is very, very powerful and the devil knows the capacity of the human soul and he wants to come in partnership with the human soul. That's what happened in Noah's times. This is where it happens. The demonic and the human come together and it's a very, very deadly combination through which the entire system, the devil governs. Look at Genesis chapter 11, 4 and 6, 4 to 6. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. What he is saying is that he's not saying that they will reach heaven. He was on earth, whatever they want to do, they can do. It's the power of the human soul. In unity they have come together. They are thinking alike. They are deciding alike. They are feeling alike. All in one unity. And the thing is that they have one language. They have one language. So you know what? Simple. Let's confuse their language. 
They have one language. You know how gangs operate? They have one language. You look at teen gangs, they have a language in their group. It's just not a code. Their language is different. What the, your teenager talks at home and what he talks in college is different. And if you hear them talk, you'll say, where did you get this language from? What do these things? I still remember when I was doing my first year in IFLU, our professor in humanities, Professor Alok Balas, a little daughter, I think she was younger than Abigail. Uh, eldest name was Udita, I think. And uh, she came and said, Daddy, I want the FP. Said, what is this FP? And the father looked at the process and said, What is this FP? Fountain Pepsi. The father is a prof who did his PhD in UK, <laughs> taught in US, and the professor, senior professor in IFLU. Poor man is struggling. What is FP? <laughs> we all research students sitting in the room and thinking, What is this little child floored us because that's their gang language. I want an FP. Fountain pipes. They have their own language. Even language becomes part of unity. Of unity. Okay. The nature of the human will. I want is the will. I think is the intellect. I feel is. When these three all come together in a man or a woman or a child, it's very dangerous if it is not bent towards the will of God. It's a very dangerous power of the human. These are the people who achieve things in this world. They will single-mindedly pursue. Single. In stupid things and in great things. When we are in college, you know, this happens in college. And we walk over this thing. There are some boys who follow some girls. And the girl is beautiful looking. This guy is an idiot looking fellow. He's an idiot. He's a fool. Doesn't enter the class or anything. But some of them will say, you watch this guy, in two weeks' time, will have this girl. I will say, how can it? You watch. Because this guy is so determined in his will, in his mind, and in his emotion. Two weeks later, you see this guy is walking with this girl, and we will say, how did he marry this? Determined in this. That's what Paul, watch when he talks about the latent power of the soul. He can do this, he can reach the moon also. That's the power of the soul. And God is saying, you know what? I understand how I created it. And what I want to do is that you turn it over to me. Your will, your intellect, and your emotions. If you come to Matthew 16, 26, we look at 16, 25. Right? We looked at 16, 25. Yeah, whoever decides, he lose. For what profit is it to a man if he gains thee? You can. If you put your mind to it and you have the means of power, it does not matter. It does not matter. Okay. Those of you who are from Jyoti will remember. Long time ago when our eldest son came from, the first time when he came with his friends, remember two of his friends came? Yeah. And there was one of his friends, the two, two I forgot her name. Toby. You know, Toby was from Macedonia. I said, where are you originally from? She said, oh, my ancestors from Macedonia. I said, you are from Macedonia? Macedonia, if you look at it, is smaller than Hyderabad. That is from where Alexander the Great was. And he conquered the whole world. It is not even Greece. 
It is one small, tiny little part of Greece called Macedonia. Alexander the Great is from a little place smaller than Hyderabad. He conquered the whole world. Known world he conquered. Why? If you put your mind to it, you can gain the whole world if you have the means. He didn't have many soldiers, a very small army. But tactically he was brilliant. With that he over. By 33 years he had already conquered. Reached India. Why? God is saying, you can. You can. But, and loses his own soul. That's what Alexander realized. I lost it. I lost it. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is from ancient time till today we always have this search for immortality. I want to have the cake and eat it too. Search for immortality. I don't want to die. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do, feel what I want to feel, think what I want to feel, and also don't want to die. But God says the problem is, you do that, you will die. If you go against my will, if you eat from this, you will surely die. And that is the problem with man. He wants all this, he does not want to die. God says, you will die. You will die. Because ultimately, eternity, none of these things matter. Eternity, the only thing will matter. Did I do God's will? God's will. If you go to the next verse, 27, no? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each one according to your works. We were prepared. It is not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of God. When he comes, the only things will matter is, okay, first, are you in or out? Two, if you are in, what did you do? Sun or sin? Sun, okay. Sin that side, sun this side. Then you are in the sun. Did you do the works of the sun? You are created in my son to do the works which he had prepared for you beforehand. Did you discover? Did you walk in it? Get this picture. That is our major issue. Because our, our mind will not be renewed because, because before the renewing of the mind, there is the surrender of the body. Surrender of the body. That's why we hate this word, this word called submission. <laughs> we hate this word. Because submission in reality means surrender your body. So we can choose two things. A self-centered life, God-centered life. This is how God, Jesus put in the new covenant. The entire Old Testament, he put it in two verses. Mark 12, 28. To 31. One of the scribes came having heard them reasoning together, perceiving he had answered them and said, Lord, which is the first commandment of all? He asked only one commandment. Jesus gave him two. Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Second, is like it. 
is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than this in this commandment there are three people god neighbor yourself you come last the end of self god neighbor self did you see that all three are there god neighbor self if you take god out then you have your neighbor and yourself it results in humanism communism socialism feminism everyism is when you have taken god out you have you and your neighbor and you then you take god and the neighbor out you only have you left that is judges 2125 judges 2125 in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes a lot of people live like that even in the church there is no neighbor no god only self and what is the complaint you are very selfish That's the most cheapest common available fish in the market is selfish. <laughs> Readily available anywhere you turn. No God. Only you and your neighbor. You move into an isam. Because you need that. And you will say I am doing it for my neighbor. You will see yesterday was a great day in America's history. After 50 years Roe versus Wade has been overturned. No more killing of babies like before. It has been overturned. It was a historic day. 50 years. It is a jubilee. Freedom for the unborn. Okay. Now you go all, all the people on the streets protesting. They're protesting for the neighbor. God is out of the picture. It's you and the neighbor. Screaming, shouting, my body, my choice. <laughs> Some of them are men <coughs> who will never make this choice. But they are fighting for their neighbor. not what god has said on the side there are lord rejoicing crying thanking god because they're not thinking about you or your neighbor first you're putting god first god first okay yesterday there was in the in an interview they asked president trump you are responsible actually for this decisions because you appointed three conservative judges to the bench so 6-2 it went so you are actually responsible the greatest thing he did is appointed three so he says no god made the decision i was a hallelujah finally hallelujah <laughs> hallelujah mind is being renewed hallelujah god made the decision honestly that's how you know a person changes gradually okay and you will realize i starts going and god starts okay and some of them are like absolutely renewed mind you can be picked from a dungeon and brought before the pharaoh and he will say god we can be a babylon brought before the king and says he will say god because the mind is renewed so god oriented god oriented god oriented they understand this is how god operates this is what i want in my life i don't want anything which god doesn't want that's what the bible is talking about god other self the ultimate projection of self and self alone is satan who will ultimately represent himself on earth as antichrist what is satan's simple resume i will i think i want 
The opposite is Christ. Your will. This is how my father thinks. I only want what he wants. John chapter 5, 19. And then the father's response, 20. Then Jesus answered and said to the most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does it in like manner. Did he say, said, I will, I want, I feel what he wills, what he wants, what he desires. And God's response, the father loves the son. The father loves every son, daughter who comes this way to him and shows him all things that he himself does. God not only reveals his will to you, he also teaches you how to work that will out. That's David's prayer. Teach us to do your will. The father loves him. And not only that, he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. I truly believe that some people do more than what God had originally intended for them. Not that it missed God's mind. But here is one person going in the will of God. Here is another person going against the will of God. Though he is a bond child, he says, take his works and give it to him. Isn't that how the parable ends? Take his talent and give it. Lord, he already has ten to him who has more. Much more will be given. Even greater works he will do. More, not less. Not more. Not, okay? Get that, right. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 kicks in every day, daily. God says surrender. There is renewal. There is not conforming, but transforming. Do you get it? Are we getting it? That is the whole thing. We are being transformed in the image of a person. Of a person. Transformed in the image of the person. John 5.39 I'll tell you something which may shock you. Shocking is once in a while God. You understand electricity is real. You search the scriptures for in them you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. You need to get this very, very right. I don't get excited by the word. I don't get excited by the word. Because before I came into the word, I had read hundreds, literally thousands and thousands of books, gone through it all. So I know what is exciting by, by reading and by the word. The reason I read the word is because I'm excited by the person. Because you are excited by reading, you will miss the person. Miss the person. It's the person in the book. The only way you will keep coming back to the word of God is because of the person. Because the other books are more exciting. Any day. Because it's fiction. And fiction is full of fantasy. It's escapism. Because if you don't understand the will of God and the purpose of God and how good it is, how acceptable it will become and how perfect it is, you know, you don't, you won't look for a person, a person who's real and living and who speaks. 
then the Bible becomes just like a text, like any religious text with lots of good principles. We need principles, but we are not looking for a principle primarily. We are looking for a person. Because sometimes you will be shocked by the kind of things God tells people to do in the Bible. You will not even understand what he is telling them to do. It's entirely revolving around the person of God revealed to us through Christ Jesus. Okay, So the first thing God demands to the new creation is, would you surrender? Would you surrender? If you cannot surrender, then you cannot think like God thinks. Amos 3, 3 we know, can two walk together unless they are agreed? What does that mean? Do you really think God and Enoch were walking together? No. Not physically. They were not walking together. What does it mean? They are of one mind. That's what it means. You can be with somebody 10,000 miles away and we yet be walking together because you are of one mind. God is in heaven. Enoch is on earth. And they are walking together because they are of one mind. Because Enoch's mind has been renewed over a period of time. God says, come on. What are you going to do over there? Even your wife can't walk with you anymore. You walk with me. Leave your family, leave your children, come come with me. That's what it basically it's talking about. The renewal of the mind, we actually think like God. And when two people think alike, they are actually walking together. They don't have to be physically together. They're walking together. And in this walking together, since they have to agree, and we know God never changes because He is perfect, so immediately you realize, I have to change. If I have to walk with God, I have to change. God never changes. Because He is perfect, He does not have to change. That is why if you look at the formats in the Bible, there are spiritual formats. First you have Abel. Abel represents surrender. Enoch represents walk. You cannot have Enoch before Abel. Abel has to come before Enoch. Enoch, Abel represents surrender. He comes, sacrifices. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That sacrifice there is the first step of surrender. And because Abel surrenders, Enoch walks. If Abel had not shown the way, Enoch would have never been able to walk with God. So Enoch is the first step. The second step is, sorry, Abel is the first step and Enoch walks. And Enoch walks with God and becomes of one mind. Okay. So children sitting here, have you got the order? First you are a new creation. That's where it begins. Old creation don't even try these things. It won't work. New creation. Second, surrender your body. Three, allow him to renew our mind. And to the renewed mind, he slowly unfolds his will. And we will find it is good, it is acceptable, and ultimately it is perfect. And the nature of the renewed mind is that it is not self-centered. It is God-centered. The best put together by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. That's the motivation. And Jesus puts it beautifully in the Lord's prayer. He says, His name 
His will, His kingdom, His glory. Whatever you do. And he brings, says, even in your eating and drinking. It's a very simple thing. No? Says a renewed mind will always ask, if I eat this, does it glorify God? God says, you can do everything. I'm not stopping. Except those things that will kill you. Even in the garden of Eden, God said, you can do all. Eat anything. Sin increased, more and more restrictions come. But finally, in the beginning, there was only one restriction. They could eat anything. A lot of things we can do. The question is not even the things which we can do, which are not per se wrong. That's not the question. The question is, does it glorify God? If I eat this, will it glorify God? It is not written, thou shalt not drink Pepsi. The question is, does it help your body to glorify God in the long run? If I eat these things on a regular basis, will it glorify God in the because a body has been given to glorify God. What you eat, what you drink, anything. All you have to bring is this one question. Okay, one question. John chapter 17 and verse 4. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me. It you do. So ultimately he saying, I finished what you did. And the way I did my work, I have brought glory to your name. That's a simple question. Because our biggest issue is name. Yeah? Hallowed be thy name. And suddenly your name or my name? John 5.44 John 5.44 How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? From the only God. From the only God. Because that's got to do with name. I was telling Pastor Vijay, uh, sorry, Pastor Eric. I told him, son, remember, this is things which I learned from God long ago. He said three things. If you're not worried about a name, if you're not worried about numbers, and if you're not worried about money, there's nothing anybody can do to you in your ministry. Three things. Start well. Don't worry about a name. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about numbers. Just do what I tell you to do. There's nothing they can do to you. Because everything is built on these three things on earth. My name. Let us make a name for ourselves. And they were large numbers. And they had the money, the resources to build. There are three things. These three things. And offense comes because your name has been touched. And Jesus was never offended because he had no name. He made himself of no reputation. That means of no name. No name. Because this is where the self comes. This is where the self comes. Because the old man is self-centered. The new man is being transformed to be God-centered. So he's always concerned about God's name, God's will, God's kingdom. And at the end he's able to say, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I'm just blessed that I could be a channel to bring you glory. That's what Jesus is saying at the end of the day. Okay. So it is not self-centered. Understand the renewed mind. How do you know your mind is being renewed? Because you're becoming less and less and less self-centered and becoming more and more God-centered. 
and the others in it. First God, first commandment should come before second. Otherwise you will become a humanist. We don't want humanists, we want Christians. Christ first, never next. Okay, Christ first, never next. You realize that's how your mind is being renewed. Second thing, Romans 12 and verse 3. Remember, as you understand the will of God, for I say through grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What does it mean? A renewed mind is not proud. Renewed mind is not proud. It's very humble. It's not proud. It does not think highly of itself. It does not think. Because you know what? Like we look at the five facets of God's will. Salvation, sanctification. Third is, we are coming to service. Because the three on what is talking about service. And when it's coming to service, don't think too highly about yourself. Because then you won't do what you're called to do. You won't do what you're called to do. You will feel it is beneath you. You will pick and choose where you will serve God. And God cannot move you around. God moves you around. If you moved around, you get offended. Because you think too highly of yourself. That's David. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. And he's a king. He's okay. Anytime, anytime God says no, he says it's fine. I'll fall into God's hands. It's, he's okay with it. Because he never thought. Because he remember at the height of his peak of his glory, old age. He says, I have never forgotten where you brought me up from. I was a shepherd, boy. <laughs> you made me king. Now you are telling me you are going to build a house for me. This is too much. Too much, Lord, too much. He never forgot. He never thought. Saul thought too highly about himself. Too highly about him. Very soon, get got into his head. And after that, he could not be changed. That is, a renewed mind is never proud. It's never proud. Look at how Jesus puts it across. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not so be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for money. You know what he says? You aren't called to rule. You're called to serve. If you want to rule, rule yourself. It's a distinctive mark of the renewed mind. What is it? The renewed mind is always looking for opportunities to serve. Wherever it goes, wherever it is, is always to see, like, what can I do? What can I do? What? You can immediately notice people who come to church. Even some of the new ones you come, you will know their mind is renewed. Because as soon as service is over, you will see where people move. There are some people who will consistently move to serve, though they have not been told to serve. They will be picking up the cables, they will be doing it. And these are all people, some of them are very new. If you have noticed, nobody told them, you are part of that team. But they know. They are immediately looking for an opportunity where I can serve. 
always looking for opportunities. Why? The mind is renewed. Mind. Anywhere you go. It does not matter. Even it's your office. Looking for opportunity. That is the mind of Joseph. He's looking for an opportunity to serve. Mind has been renewed. Though you have been called to rule, like I said yesterday, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. Way up is down. If you go to Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 and 8. Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him even more. And his brothers, you know the dream, right? You know the dream, what it was. He says, And the brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But that is a true vision. He's called to rule. Verse 13, 14 to 16. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He said, Here I am. And he said to them, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks. Bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there and was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? And he said, I am seeking my brothers. What is his vision? To rule. What is he doing? Serving his brothers. He has reigned over his flesh, his self. And now he's a real king. He's a real king. A real king rules over himself. And in the process he serves others. He's always looking. That is what it means. Grace has been given to us so that we reign in righteousness. And then the righteousness of God is brought forth. Nobody has to tell you to pick a piece of paper lying in the church, on the corridor, in the auditorium or in your office. You just pick it up because you know that's what who you are. You just do things like that. It becomes your habit. Comes your habit. You do it. You pick up a broom because you see there is dirt. Nobody has to see you. You do stuff because your mind has been renewed. And your mind has been renewed. The proof is sitting in the works. But when you are doing those works, remember you are fulfilling a vision. That the way up is down. You are being prepared to reign. We saw from Revelation chapter 22. They shall see his face. And they shall serve him forever. And next line. They shall reign forever. So reigning and serving goes together. If you are not serving. You are not reigning. You are not reigning. They shall reign forever and ever. And the previous line says. They shall see his face and that'll be beyond. And they shall, oh yeah? They shall, yeah, they shall be his servant shall serve him. There is service and there's reigning, there goes. God says, I'm preparing you there. But first, rule over yourself. Don't be self-centered. Don't be self-centered. Do not be self-centered. Be God-centered and the other servant. And that's Joseph. Everywhere he goes, he's serving. And by serving, he's reigning over himself. Even in prison, he looks and says, you know, what's wrong with you? Why is the face downcast? Even there, he's looking for opportunities beyond his ordained function. His function is something else ordained by the warden. Beyond that, because that's what grace does. Law will take you one mile. Grace takes you the second mile. Law will take you to Shechem. 
grace will take you to Dothan. But Dothan is where your destiny is. A lot of people go to Shechem, Hebron, uh, Shechem, and they go back saying, brothers are in there. I didn't find anything to do. And they go back and they miss God's destiny because they went only by what was written. The law. Were in there ten of you? Only one returned? Nine were healed. Ten were healed. One was made whole because they understood what grace is. And you are not doing this for man. Because if you are doing for man, when man is not looking, you will stop doing. That is the whole thing. That's why don't put the neighbor first. The beneficiary of your service is neighbor. But you are doing it because of God. Because of God. If you do it for your neighbor, when the neighbor is not there, the neighbor is upset, the neighbor is offended, the neighbor is, it stops. Whoever the neighbor is, your spouse, your children, anybody, wherever you are working, it will stop. Otherwise, Joseph should not be serving in the prison because he should be offended because he's innocent. Accused of a falsely of a crime, thrown into prison. Okay, warden has, okay, I will do what I am. I'm not doing one thing more than this. No, he's not offended at all. Offended at all. Not offended at all. These are fundamental principles. You don't understand what is the will of God. What is the will of God? He surrenders first to the will of his father. You go. You go where you are sent. And you serve to whom you are sent. No, I will not go there. I'll only go here. If you send me there, I will go. And I will not serve everybody there. I'll only serve this category of people. You don't make choices. Then you're not serving God, you're serving self. Serving self. A lot of people serve self in the name of God. That's why God says, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did I ask you to cast out demons? You went into that ministry because there was glory for you. Every ministry in the town is healing ministry now. Everybody is being called to healing services. Why? For what? For what? Because there is glory. It's glory. You need to understand there is glory in it. We are not saying people should not. People should be healed. But don't make yourself around that. People should be delivered. But that is not your call. That is not your call. But there is great glory in deliverance. There is great glory in healing. But when the father says, pick up and go teach in the other, there is no glory in teaching. If you come, if you put it together, there is a healing meeting, there is a deliverance meeting, there is a teaching meeting. Teaching there is no glory. This is spectacles. And the father is telling the son, because he went in the morning to seek the will of the father, leave these two and go teach. The son says, it's your glory, it's your will. I bring glory to you only when I do your will. I glory, bring glory to myself when I do my works in your name. I need power, by the way. Okay, Otherwise, I can't cast out demons. So will you please give me power so that I... That's the prodigal son. I want to live my life. I want, I think, I feel. Please give me money. By the way, I don't have money. So can you give me my inheritance, please? I want, I think, I feel. Would you give me money? The father said, take it. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of power. Yes, but power is for his glory. 
That's why we say, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You can take the kingdom and the power and your glory. Your glory. No. You have to be very, very careful. The kingdom, the power, and his glory. Not your glory. That's why they were all upset when Jesus was talking about the cross. Till the last moment, everyone was upset. Jesus said, No, Lord. Because in the cross there is no glory. The people on the shout, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. The thieves you are abusing, if you are, save yourself. Everybody is upset with the cross. Because in the cross, hanging over there is no glory. But that was God's will for him. God says, only one person will receive glory through what you do, son. It's me and nobody else. Will you do it for me? And the son said, yes, father, not my will. Your will be done. Nobody received glory through that, not even Jesus Christ. Remember, when he's hanging on the cross, it is shame. Not even he's receiving glory. By that very act, one person, one person alone receives glory, it is God. And every voice is telling, come down. Save yourself. And he says, not myself. Him. I've come to do the will of God. Fundamental, simple principles you understand. Every day you understand. You know what? Something floods into your soul. And it's irrespective of what you are going through in the environment you are living. What floods into your soul. Because by seeking God's glory and doing that work which he wants you to do, which may look very insignificant in the eyes of man, you have fulfilled righteousness. Peace and joy floods in. You have peace. And you have joy. These are the manifest characteristics of the kingdom of God. Peace guards your heart and your mind. Everything is wrong outside. And the joy of God is there. And you are able to sing. That's what Paul is talking about in the, in the film, in the prison. In the letter to Philippians. Everybody will look at him. Poor Paul, 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 Paul. You are lying in prison. We told you this is not the way to go. That is absolutely fine. He knows I'm right there in the will of God, bringing glory to God, and I can rejoice and have the peace of God that guards my heart and my mind. So please understand, when we look about a renewed mind, first it is seeking the will of God. Second, it is not proud. It is not proud. Look at that, Romans 12.3. It is not proud. It is out there to serve. It is out there. It should not think. Don't. Because if you are proud, you will not serve. Everybody who serves are not humble. You want to find a humble person, he will serve or she will serve anywhere he or she is sent and put. Anywhere, anything. You know who has told you, you will go anywhere, do anything that has been told to you. And you don't think that work is demeaning. Why? Because you know who sent you. The work's nature changes because who sent you. Who sent you. Who sent you. Let me ask you this question. Somebody, somebody says, let us say, let us say Samir is a driver. It's not a driver, it's IT professional. It's okay, let us say it's a driver. Oh, Samir, after all this study, you're just a driver. Ah, driver. A kiski driver hai? Uh, I am KCR's driver. Ah, KCR's driver, ah. 
Suddenly it changed. Why? Who is he driving around? Sir, we talk to you. Yes, we do. Our request is to say, now you need the driver. Driver doesn't need you. Driver doesn't need you. You need the driver. Why? Simply because who he is driving. So it does not matter what you do. What matters is for whom are you doing it. It changes the nature of your work. And the son of God comes, born of a woman, in a manger, and he comes and stands up and says, I have come to do my father's will. And in the volume of the book, it is written, Behold, I have come to do your will. Immediately your job profile changes. So it doesn't matter whether you are a sweeper or a pastor or a prime minister or a president. Who are you? God's servant. What are you witnessing? The life of Christ. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. God says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Okay, so get this. We haven't finished. Okay, We'll finish slowly. Because every day you eat too much, you'll get indigestion. But let the mind constantly, mind be changed. That's what you know. You know what, no? When you are in this, what you call the ambiency atmosphere of the word and the body of Christ, there are two things that changes people. Well, I mean, personally, three things. Word, prayer, and fellowship. Fellowship. Word, prayer, and fellowship. Word is like water. Word is like water. If you have to get smooth stones from the river, the water and they are rubbed against each other. The water and David picked five stones. That is why it is put over. Doctrine, fellowship. Doctrine, fellowship. Doctrine, fellowship. All the rough edges are being taken out. You learn to live together as a community. If you go to First Corinthians 10, 31, we looked at it, right? Do everything to the glory of God. Now read 20, 32 and 33. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's go to 33. Okay, 32. Give no offense. Either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. If you are serving God quietly without being a busybody. I'm not talking about those who preach the word. They will offend the Greek and the Gentile simply because of the word. They don't intend to offend. They don't intend to offend. The in- intention is not in there. But that's the nature of truth. Truth always offends. But if you are not willing to receive it. okay. Just as I also please all men in all things. What? Not seeking my own profit. But the profit of many that they may be. What is my motive? Salvation of others. First will of God. That's my motive. I please all men in all things. As long as God is not upset about it, then I can do it. I am not looking myself. I am looking at how I can please others. What is the motive? Why are you trying to please him? If by some chance I can save him. I am not seeking my profit. I am not self-centered. I am first God-centered, then I am other-centered, then last I think about myself. God, neighbor, me. That's the order. When you do that, God says, you know what? The kingdom will always flow. I'll be with you. My presence shall go with you. You shall have peace. You shall have joy. That's all we want. (laughs) In life, actually, that's all we want. 
We don't need anything else. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your children. All the little ones and the big ones who are here, Lord, your children, I pray. We will go through this process. Yes, we have to keep on hearing. Anyway, in the world, we hear a lot of junk. We come into the word. It has to be cleaned out, Lord, by the washing of the water of the word. You can make us without spot, blameless, without wrinkle, so that you can present us to yourself. That's the whole purpose. We can become a vessel of honor in the hands of God. Prepare to do every good work. Help us not to forget these things, Lord. And in the midst of it, we will have peace. We will have joy. Because the Spirit of God stands witness with us inside. Commit the rest of the day into thy hands and all your people into thy hands everywhere. Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Protect them and keep them, Lord. Help us to be a witness. Little more true witness today than yesterday. Truer witness to the light we have received now. When we came in, we had lesser light. Now we have received more light. Help us be true to that light, Lord. Help us, Father, for the power is yours. Without your power, there will be no light in us. It will be dark. So light us, Lord. Give us that power to live your life. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Come here, the worship practice and the Q&A into thy hands. We bless your holy name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the children said? Amen. Amen.